Welcome, everybody. You are listening to the 4114 Site Wrestling Podcast on the one and only 411 Podcasting Network. It's just myself this week, unfortunately, for all of you. But fortunately, I invite all of you to stick around. It is just myself this week, but we got lots to talk about with SummerSlam just about a week away. And, of course, the usual CM Punk rumors that we all love to talk about. And even a little thing with Daniel Bryan and the big dog, Roman Reigns. Yes, Roman Reigns. We will get to all of that, but first let me tell all of you once again, you are listening to the 411 Foresight Wrestling Podcast on the 411 Podcasting Network. You know where to find us, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, iTunes, and of course, 411mania.com. You know all about that website, and I'm going to be taking a little rift off the 411mania.com website right now for my column I wrote this week, and it's basically kind of looking at the SummerSlam card as we have it right now. It is Thursday afternoon. So we are about 10 days away from this show, and I don't know about you, but, you know, this card looks sneaky good. It's one of those cards that kind of is sneaking up on everybody where it's like, hey, this looks pretty darn good if you actually look at it top to bottom. So I did a little thing with this column this week. I do not believe it's posted yet, so keep an eye on it. It will be out there soon, but I'm just going to kind of go match by match here from what we have announced so far and just kind of let everyone know that... You know, there's something here, and Toronto may be in for a little bit of a surprise show here. So first up, it was just announced two days ago, but is it just me, or is Charlotte versus Trish a legitimate dream match? Yes, a dream match. Very rare, I think, in the women's division, because there's always so few of these dream matches that you can do. But I think we can actually have an opportunity here for something special. I think if anybody is going to be known as the former era's greatest women's champion, it has to be Trish Stratus. I'm sorry about Lita and all the other greats out there. But to me, Trish is the best. She's been the greatest women's wrestler of all time for, you know, since she's been around. So I don't think anyone's beat her yet. There's a lot of great talent these days. But right now, Trish is still number one to me. And I mentioned this in the column, but she's even made my top five greatest Canadian-born wrestlers of all time. Yes, that's right. Top five Canadian-born wrestlers of all time. Male, female, doesn't matter. Trish is number five on my list. If you want to know the rest of the list, 411mania.com, you can see who else I got on there. But if we're talking about this era, I know Becky Lynch is the man right now, and I know a lot of people love Sasha Banks, and you could argue a few others, but... You know, it's got to be Charlotte. She was my unsung hero in 2018. She's been bringing it since NXT when she was on Raw, then the SmackDown Live. She's brought it every single time and has countless, countless, countless amazing performances on pay-per-view where sometimes you do just kind of forget, like, hey, Charlotte's really good. And I know everyone kind of soured on her earlier this year by being inserted into the Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch thing. But look, Charlotte absolutely a 1,000% deserved to be in that spot and deserves to be one of the top females in that division. So if we're thinking, hey, who do we go with Toronto and Canada's favorite diva or women's wrestler, whatever you want to call her these days, it's Trish Stratus. You know, she's going to have the crowd, obviously, and who's going to get booed against her? Well, Charlotte. So I think the matchup works perfectly. I would assume if it's a little bit of a run here, Trish wins, and then maybe if uh, it is a one-off, you know, you kind of got to go with Charlotte. But you never know. Is Trish going to come back just to lose? Is she going to come back and have a little bit of a run? Does she care that much about, you know, wins and losses and all that stuff? We saw Beth Phoenix kind of have a little bit of a run. She didn't really win too much there. So I don't know, but I'm really intrigued by it. And if these two get 15 minutes or 20 minutes, um, it might be something really, really good. So don't sleep on that one. And up next, I say, is it just me or is the entire Ms. Dolph Ziggler situation intriguing? So if we're going by the old uh, gossip columns and that all fun stuff, uh, the match will not be the Miz versus Dolph Ziggler, despite it actually being announced already by WWE. Uh, Apparently, 
Um, the Miz will not be competing against Dolph Ziggler. It is going to be Bill Goldberg competing against Dolph Ziggler. And while it seems ridiculous and where the heck did I pull Bill Goldberg's name out of, well, Dolph Ziggler's been ripping on the legends. He kind of spoiled the party and kind of dumped all over the Raw reunion a few weeks ago. He's uh, super chick, super, no, sorry, super kicked Shawn Michaels. And uh, I thought it was actually a really good super kick and it really, you know, really looked good for the sweet chin music. So, you know, he's been kind of dumping on the legends. And in case anyone hasn't been paying attention, he's uh, specifically kind of been ripping on Goldberg, especially uh, especially Goldberg's last match at a Super Showdown, uh, if we all remember that amazing performance. But anyways, um, so I don't know how if Miz is going to get taken out or if uh, Miz is going to just smile on the entrance ramp and say, you know what? I have a better opponent in mind. And then the music hits, and people forget this, but Toronto, um, that's where Goldberg beat Brock Lesnar. So I know uh, Goldberg may not be the most popular man sometimes in Canada for uh, some of his uh, past things that he did in the ring, but people remember they went nuts for him beating Lesnar. So don't worry about the crowd reaction. If Goldberg comes out, they're going to go nuts. Dolph Ziggler is going to get speared, jackhammer, one, two, three, and we may not necessarily forget about Goldberg versus Undertaker and the ending, because I actually thought the match was really good up until the ending, but, you know, it may kind of give Bill Goldberg a little bit of a redemption, and, you know, he can forever then say, if this is his last match, which I don't think it will be, he'd probably return for something down the line with another legend or something, but, you know, in case it was his last match, he can then say, you know, that was my last performance, Dolph Ziggler will obviously take a great spear. He'll go flying somewhere. And then the jackhammer, Goldberg can do that probably with ease on Ziggler versus somebody like Undertaker. So regardless of where this Miz-Dolph thing goes, I think it's going to be really good. And even if we get Miz versus Dolph, which I don't think we will, but even if we do, I'm sure it'll be a great match for both guys who honestly both kind of need a win right now. Up next, I say, is it just me or are we due for a Ricochet versus AJ Styles classic? Now, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed their Raw matches. I thought the interaction with everybody and the OC, which is going by, I thought that was all very well done. Ricochet's obviously been banged up and kind of hurt a little bit with his uh, elbow and all that. But, you know, I think it's time, like, let these guys lose. And I mentioned this again, cheap plug, 411mania.com. I mentioned this, but, you know, what's wrong with the officials going in back and saying, hey, guys, here's 25 minutes, here's 35 minutes. Just go out there and do your thing. Just give them the finish if they need it or whatever and just say, go out there. It's a WWE Network era. There, there's no time limit on any of this stuff. If they want to go 25, 30 minutes, are we going to complain? Oh, no, the show's over four hours. Well, it's going to be four hours anyways. So why not use it for a good, good, good match with Ricochet and AJ Styles? That's all I'm saying. So if you're going to go over your time, well, then let's have Ricochet and AJ Styles use up all that time. That's that's my thing. So I think they're due for a classic I think anything less, honestly, would be kind of disappointing because I think the storyline is probably going to end here regardless of who the winner is. So when's the next time we're going to get a Ricochet AJ Styles match on pay-per-view, especially one as big as SummerSlam in front of, I would assume, a hot Toronto crowd? Uh, they got to let it all loose here. Up next, I say, is it just me or is The Fiend the best thing on WWE TV right now? I think uh, the Bray Wyatt character had clearly gotten stale over the past year or two, and that was one of my bold predictions from January, which I'm hitting on almost all of them right now. From January, I wrote, you know, he needed to do something. 
you know, him just coming out and doing the same stuff and the Sister Abigail and all that Sister Abigail stuff, that, that doesn't really uh, fly anymore. I think kind of people got tired of it. So this this Fiend thing, the Firefly Funhouse, take a shot, but my girlfriend is super duper creeped out by everything about it. And it's really been creepy. And it's one of been, it's, uh, been one of the bright spots, I think, on the Raw show, which uh, actually this week they kind of shifted over to SmackDown. So I wonder if, uh, you know, wildcard rule or if we're even going to care about who's on which side anymore. But it'd be kind of cool if he did kind of take a side, and then you had to tune into that show each week and see what he was going to do next. My only um, concern, I guess is the word, my only concern is we still have not seen The Fiend in an actual match. Obviously, we will at SummerSlam against Finn Balor. I'm not sure if it's going to be the Demon Finn Balor or just uh, quote-unquote regular Finn Balor, but I would save the Demon. He can always uh, come back as the Demon to battle the Fiend, but I would have a quote-unquote regular Finn Balor here and just honestly get destroyed. If he needs some time off, then give him some time off, and then he can come back as the Demon and kind of go toe-to-toe with the Fiend and see how that goes, but... I mean, I go back to Sin Cara when he debuted. We all remember how great that went. But I thought one of the cool things that they did was they immediately set him apart. They differentiated his matches from everyone else's. If you remember the lights and the kind of the little low lights and it was dimmed and the different colors with the blue, I thought it was cool. Where it was like, okay, it's time for Sin Cara to kind of show his stuff. And it was a really different presentation. And every time he came out, he stood out. So that was cool. And I wonder what they have for The Fiend. I don't think they can have, you know, the lights out or a dark match, quote-unquote, or anything like that. But, you know, how will they do it with the lights flickering on and off? Will it just literally be him in the mask? Will he not have the mask? I don't know. Um, I don't know exactly how this is going to go. But, again, that makes SummerSlam intriguing, and this is what I'm getting at. It, it just seems like almost every match or something will be like, hey, i got to actually see what happens with this because it's interesting. Is it just me, or is WWE winding down the Shane McMahon story? Okay, so about two months ago, I wrote a column, again, 411mania.com. I wrote about this and just basically wrote, look, the Shane McMahon story, it can't end normally. It, it just can't. It's dragged on too long. The best in the world stuff, he's he's had too many wins over the Miz, even if it's only been one, two, or three, or however many you want to actually count as wins. You know, it's just been too much. We're just Roman Reigns beating him. You know, that wasn't going to be enough. You know, or even Miz coming back, honestly, and getting revenge. That, that That's not enough. We, we've kind of sat through enough of this, and I'm saying this as a Shane McMahon fan, everybody. So don't take this as just your standard whining and complaining about Shane stuff that, you know, it's kind of tired. You know, this is me actually saying this needs a big ending. This needs something big. This needs a payoff where it's like, wow, all that was worth it. The past year was worth it. Him winning the tournament and him bragging each week and the long introductions and all that stuff. There needs to be something big, and that's why I was not surprised one bit when The Undertaker got involved. You know, WWE put so much into this story where you knew something else was coming. It wasn't just Shane, Elias, and the stud Drew McIntyre, you know, just doing their thing. The Undertaker's been brought in, and now Roman Reigns, and now it feels like, you know, Kevin Owens is stunning the world with all of his actions and kind of playing the little bit of the anti-hero, or I don't know what the term is, but, you know, he's kind of the rebel without a cause right now, and his cause, you know, it's not without a cause. The cause is to get rid of uh, Shane McMahon, get rid of these McMahons. You know, there's too much talent on this roster. 
and too many good performers that, you know, whether it's because of Shane or not, you know, it's really not. But, you know, to fans, it comes off that way as, oh, because of Shane, so-and-so didn't get an opportunity. Because of Shane, this person hasn't been on TV in a week or two or three or however long. So Kevin Owens right now is kind of standing up for the people, and he's kind of got his people on his side, especially when it's going to be in Toronto, Canada. And he's going to be facing Shane McMahon with his job on the line, with his career on the line. You know, he says he'll leave if he loses. I would assume we're not going to get a Toronto screw job or any kind of garbage like that. I assume we're going to get Kevin Owens giving him 10 stunners in a row and finally pinning him. And I don't know if that's his official write-off, but I wouldn't also mind the Miz coming down and getting his lickings in on Shane and just completely, you know, empty the locker room, honestly. Just bring everybody that Shane even slightly is kind of messed with and just kind of all hit their finishers one last stunner, you know, and there you go. Send them packing, but I don't know if it's this week, this month, you know, soon, but I think WWE is kind of getting rid of the Shane McMahon story, and I don't know if it's because of uh, Eric Bischoff taking over SmackDown and kind of leading that, or Paul Heyman finally getting some control on Raw, or regardless of what the reason is, it it does feel like it's kind of been lessened in the past few weeks, and they are kind of moving on from it. Speaking of moving on, is it just me... Or should we be rooting for Ember Moon at SummerSlam? Now, I say this as a big Ember Ember Moon fan, so, you know, a little bit of a bias here. So, excuse me on that one. But, you know, I thought she should have been the one to defeat Asuka. If anyone remembers in NXT, Asuka just kind of, you know, vacated the title with uh, whatever injury she may or may not have had at the time. You can believe what you want to believe. You know, and then she came up to Raw, dominated, and was obviously undefeated, winning the Rumble and all that good stuff. But... You know, it's similar to the the Viking Raiders situation. They just they didn't even lose the titles. They just kind of like just left them in the ring, and then NXT just kind of started a thing to have new champs. And it's just like, well, wait a minute, that didn't feel like closure at all. And that may be because of the main roster call ups and all that complicated stuff, which I'm not even going to get into. But Ember Moon at that point had deserved a big win. She had kind of earned that right. And if Asuka wasn't going to get the mania moment anyways over Charlotte, you know, then would the loss have meant too much? Would anyone really care that, oh, she lost in NXT once? And I always bring this up, but, you know, Asuka technically did lose in NXT before. She lost a Battle Royal. People forget this all the time. It was televised. Yes, it was on TV. It wasn't some... Florida Loop house show where she lost a battle royal. It was on the show. She lost in a battle royal. She was eliminated. And I think it was actually Carmella who won the battle royal. I think it was to get a shot at Bailey or something. It was a number one contenders match. I, you know, people forget all this stuff a lot. But, you know, Asuka had, I guess, if you want to get technical about it, she lost in that match. So I thought Ember Moon deserved the moment. She had a really, really cool call up after WrestleMania. And she hasn't been doing much since. I know she had an injury, so obviously that sucked for her. But despite getting her run with NXT Women's Championship eventually, you know, it still never felt like where if she would have beat Asuka, it would have been a huge, huge moment for her and kind of put a stamp on her like, hey, she's she's going to be here. This is somebody legit. This is somebody to watch out for. But finally, it feels like she is. She is getting a pay-per-view championship match against Bailey. That's a big spotlight, especially in 2019 with the focus on the women and everything like that going on. That's a big moment for her, whether it's a win or a loss or Sasha Banks runs in or it's a DQ or it lasts 10 seconds or it's on the kickoff show. Honestly, I don't even care. Ember Moon is getting this opportunity right now, and I think she can shine. Similar to AJ Styles versus Ricochet, if these two get a lot of time, 
We've seen Bailey deliver SummerSlam weekend before. So don't sleep on Bailey. Don't sleep on Ember Moon. If these two get the right amount of time and kind of do their thing, um, it could be very, very good and outshine the other women's matches, which, you know, those could be questionable if you think about it. And as for a winner, like I said, I mean, why are we not all rooting for Ember Moon? We all love Bailey. We all loved her cashing, and I'm not taking anything away from Bailey. I'm a big fan and thought her Money in the Bank cashing moment was awesome. I was sitting on the edge of my couch cranking the volume up thinking it was so cool, and I love seeing it. But again, you know, it's Ember Moon. You know, it's one of those things where it's like if, if there's change in the air, then it's time to go for it. So I'm assuming I'll, you know, kind of lose out on this bet, but I'm going to be rooting for Ember Moon at SummerSlam. And I think everybody kind of should, honestly. But, you know, that's up to you. So up next, we have another women's uh, championship match that's, you know, kind of confusing. But is it just me or is Natalia versus Becky Lynch awkward? And honestly, while writing this column for 411mania.com, I, I couldn't think of the right word. You know, I, I we kind of talked about this the past few weeks on the 411 Foresight Wrestling Podcast. You know, I don't like it. I don't like that Becky Lynch has gone from the main event of WrestleMania and beating Ronda Rousey. Yes, she beat Ronda Rousey clean. One, two, three in the middle of the ring. She beat Ronda Rousey in the main event of WrestleMania. And then she was feuding with Lacey Evans and Baron Corbin. You know, okay, fine, whatever. WWE wanted to do something with them. You know, it was clear they weren't going to get the titles or, you know, kind of move past their spot. But you know what? Fine. It was a nice little follow-up. You know, it was actually pretty entertaining. And I thought the pay-per-view matches were really good. But let's be honest. It was from Ronda Rousey to Lacey Evans to Natalia. Now... Natalia follows me on Twitter, so all all props to her. Shout out to her for that. But, uh, you know, this is not just a step down from WrestleMania for Becky. You know, this is a... This is a this is a free fall. This is just down. This is a nosedive. This is straight down. And, you know, I'm kind of assuming... I could be wrong here, but I'm just kind of assuming that this is another Canada thing where the company kind of wants to you know, kind of focus on its Canadian talent maybe a little bit more or give them a spotlight or something. But if they think Canada is going to boo Becky Lynch instead of, you know, Natalia, um, I would say that's a little bit doubtful. I don't think they will. And again, I could be wrong on that. But I go back to SummerSlam 2004, which was also in Canada. And this was when Edge was the Intercontinental Champion and he was... You know, kind of the hometown, you know, returning hero. He had just come back from neck surgery. He had just won a title. It was kind of cool for him. And guess what, folks? The crowd booed him. They were not buying into the happy-go-lucky edge and the smiling and, hey, guys, I'm back and I'm champ. No, it was clear the attitude had kind of changed and Edge kind of needed a little jump start at that point. So it was kind of cool that, you know, the crowd did turn on him. It was just kind of like, no, this isn't who he is and he shouldn't be. From there, he did start a slow heel turn, became the hottest heel in the industry. And of course, not even, what, a year and a half later, he was WWE champion. So I don't know if, you know, Natalia is going to do anything like that, obviously. But if they're thinking Natalia is going to get this hero's welcome or I don't know, I could see Canada honestly turning on Natalia. And I know it sounds a little bit ridiculous like that, but, you know, I don't know what they're really even going for. Are they going for a split crowd? Are they just kind of doing this so Ronda Rousey can run out? She's kind of teased a little comeback there. But, you know, Natty's friend, Ronda, obviously Becky Lynch. We still need the one-on-one 
Becky Lynch versus Ronda Rousey match. I think we uh, deserve that. And if they want to save it for next year's Mania or two years or whatever Ronda Rousey's plans are, that's great. But, you know, Natalia is not Ronda Rousey. So <laughs> whatever we get in Canada next Sunday, um, I'll be watching. But uh, more importantly, I'll be listening. So is it just me? Or is Randy Orton versus Kofi Kingston exactly what SmackDown needs right now? And I write this right here in the column again, cheap plug. Look, let's be real. The Kofi Kingston WWE title run has been a bust. All right, there, I said it. All right, we've kind of danced around it a little bit, a little New Day dance. We've kind of danced around the subject the past few weeks. But look, it's not been good. He hasn't had any match of the year candidates. He hasn't stolen any shows. He hasn't had a single memorable promo. You know, him strutting around throwing pancakes. You know, with the lifeless and stale New Day. I mean, I don't care if they're the tag champs now. You know, nothing about this has screamed epic WWE title run. Nothing about this even comes close to what I thought was the great, great match at WrestleMania he had over Daniel Bryan. Obviously, the emotional celebration. That was a huge moment, but kind of like Becky Lynch, he's, you know, he's done nothing since. And I don't know if that's due to his opponents, which have been Samoa Joe, Kevin Owens, and Dolph Ziggler. I don't know if it's just the crowd's not really been buying into those guys. But look, th this reign needs to turn around, all right? I, I assume Kofi's winning the title and keeping it for a while. I assume he will beat Randy Orton at SummerSlam, even though SummerSlam has been very kind to Randy Orton if you look at his history at the event. Um, I kind of feel bad for Kofi getting this moment. And if you remember, actually, though, you know, he wasn't. It was supposed to be Ali, but we can kind of backtrack on that a different time. But he is in this moment. And, you know, it's been nothing. He, he needs something to sink his teeth into. You know, random one-off matches with, you know, the opponent of the month aren't helping. And they're certainly not helping ratings. They're certainly not helping SmackDown. They're not helping with anybody. He needs a backstory to these battles. He needs something. He needs something where fans can go, yeah, 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 and start cheering him on. And I think Randy Orton is that perfect opponent. Not only do they have the past and the history, and fans are going to obviously think of Randy Orton as, you know, burying Kofi Kingston, which is ridiculous, and a column I wrote many years ago about how that was not true, but, you know, they're taking it and running with it. If people want to think Orton buried Kofi, then fine, go with it and have Orton as the hated heel and Kofi as the underdog and, oh, poor me, and, oh, he got screwed over by the company and the favorites and all this stuff. You know what? Ride with it. If people want to believe that, let them believe it. It'll just add more to the story, and it'll add more to the crowd. And I think it's great. I think it's something that SmackDown needs. Randy Orton is obviously the veteran who's kind of come and gone the past few months and can always kind of step in whenever he's needed. And honestly, he's needed right now. So he needs to step up a little bit and kind of rip on Kofi, give him about 50 RKOs, and just kind of stomp all over him. Tell him, look, I'm politicking against you right now and back. I'm going to take your title. And as much as people may not like to hear that, um, let's rewind a month. Do people forget that just a few weeks ago, Kofi Kingston, during his match on pay-per-view, you know what the crowd was chanting? They were chanting, we want Lesnar. You can deny it all you want, but go back on the network and watch. Whether it was a large portion or not, but the crowd was very loud for this part. And... They were chanting, we want Lesnar, obviously referring to his Money in the Bank cash-in. Not so good when you consider the crowd went crazy and the world rejoiced for Kofi when he won the title at Mania. And now here we were in, what, July? And they were chanting, we want Lesnar. The, the quote-unquote hated Lesnar that everybody is so against, yet he gets, you know, the monster crowd reactions every time and does an amazing job. They were chanting, we want Lesnar, while Kofi was defending his title. I'm not saying that will happen again in Canada where the crowd turns on him, but 
you know, it wouldn't shock me one bit if the crowd slowly did start cheering for Randy Orton. It'd, uh, it'd be something to watch out for. So, finally here I say, is it just me, or are we getting yet another universal title change? Speaking of Brock Lesnar, he is the universal champion, whether you uh, can remember that or not, you know, when he shows up. Um, he cashed in, he beat Seth Rollins. Rollins was no longer the quote-unquote beast slayer. At WrestleMania 35, and Brock's holding the title, and you know, of course, we had the usual complaints, the usual stuff that comes up, but I guess people still don't understand what a special attraction means, so I guess we'll just move on from that. But either way, um, this appears to be setting up Brock Lesnar losing, actually, and I know it's kind of hard to think about, like, why in the world would Brock Lesnar win the Money in the Bank briefcase, which, by the way, I think he appeared on, like, three or four Raws in a row. And then Super Showdown, and now he was at the last pay-per-view again, and now he's been on the past few Raws again, and now he's going to be at SummerSlam. So, I mean, it, it feels weird to think like he just won the title to, what, lose it back to Seth Rollins? I'm not quite sure, but if you do think about it, you know, Rollins and Brock, they had a match back in 2015, a lot of people forget this, but, you know, they headlined a pay-per-view that year, one-on-one, and it wasn't much of a match. It was Brock kind of just kicking Rollins all over the place until The Undertaker interfered, and then they kind of went in their own directions again and didn't really face off again. But at WrestleMania, you know, the match opened the show. You know, some people may forget this, but the match wasn't much of a match. It was kind of just Lesnar destroying him before the bell, and then the bell rang, and then Rollins kind of had a little bit of a comeback, and then, you know, they did the story, and then Rollins won. And that was kind of it. So if we're thinking, well, Rollins just got his big moment over Lesnar, I mean, he did, and it was awesome, and I loved it. But if they're going to go for a full-blown match and Rollins is going to win clean, like clean as clean can be over Lesnar, you almost have to do kind of a 15, 20, 25-minute legitimate match. And before people start yelling about that, you know, I mentioned Lesnar versus Daniel Bryan. I mentioned Lesnar versus Finn Balor. I mentioned Lesnar versus everybody that he's fought recently. I mean, the AJ Styles match at Survivor Series can just show you what happens when you can actually give each other some time, and Lesnar's actually in it for a match. And I think him and Seth Rollins, especially after the beatdown on Raw, I think it'd be worth a full-blown match. I think Lesnar would absolutely be motivated. I think the company should be motivated. I'm assuming this will get the main event spot. So I know the money is easy to just say, well, Brock's just going to retain and go into the Fox premiere on SmackDown, even though he's supposed to be on Raw. And, you know, the credentials for the sports and the video games that he's going to be on, by the way, and I hope that's not a spoiler. But the brands and all that crap really don't matter anymore. But, you know, it's easy to just say that Brock will you know, be on the Fox premiere, but he can just as easily be on the premiere without the title. So I don't know. I'm thinking, I'm thinking a title change, but I guess it wouldn't surprise me either way because for right or wrong the past year, Seth Rollins has been the man in WWE. I know Becky Lynch has kind of taken that nickname, but you know, he's been the go-to guy throughout all of this. So it wouldn't surprise me one bit if this is all just kind of setting up for Rollins, not only to get another moment, but, you know, a true moment this time, an actual straight-up victory like he got at WrestleMania. But either way, I kind of summed it all up at the end of this column. Again, 411mania.com. You know, all of this just makes for a must-see SummerSlam, and we haven't even kind of gotten to the other bouts that, um, you know, may or may not be added to it. But, you know, Sami Zayn versus Aleister Black, if those two are given the kickoff show match, Oh my gosh, can you even imagine how good that can be? 
again, give them 20 minutes. I don't think we need an hour of talking, especially from, you know, who they have talking on these kickoff shows half the time. We don't need that. Put in Sami Zayn, put in Alistair Black, put a 20-minute time limit in the back and say, go out there. We'll let you know when it hits 20 minutes and then you can go home. That's all you need. And trust me, those two will deliver. You know, I don't think you're going to go out there and hold the headlocks and say, what are we doing? What are we doing? Give them some time. Again, it's SummerSlam. It's going to go over time regardless. We all know that going in. So why not make it worth your while? So that's my column on SummerSlam. So before moving on to the next topic, I am going to give your usual plugs. You are listening to the 4114 Set Wrestling Podcast on the 411 Podcasting Network, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, iTunes, and of course, 411mania.com is the website. Be sure to like, hit, subscribe, do all those amazing things. Reviews, you know all about that stuff. You've heard it a million times, so now you just got to do it. You know, we appreciate every single part of that love. So up next, you know, our favorite guy in the world, CM Punk. Let me just all let you collect your breath. We're going to talk about CM Punk. If you want to fast forward the next minute or two minutes, I totally understand. But you're all going to stick around because, again, I said the name CM Punk. So here's the deal. I've been kind of talking about him uh, the past few weeks because, um, again, January, bold predictions. Uh, CM Punk is returning to the wrestling scene this year, folks. Hate to play spoiler on that, but he is returning. And the big question, of course, has been, well, first of all, you know, it's been, no, he's not. No, he's not. There's no way. And then he did, you know, under a mask or a hood or whatever you want to call it. So point for me. And then he did the little uh, star cast. He's going to do a little uh, speaking thing and an autograph session. I don't even know what he's calling it, but it's like 200 bucks or something. And honestly, I could drive the two hours, but, you know, the 200 bucks just ain't worth it. So, you know, that counts to me. That counts to me as returning to the scene. But if you think that's all he's doing, well... There's more. So the big question has always been, where is he going? What is he going to do? And if you go back to my column, even from January or all these times that I've been talking about it, I have never said once that he's returning to WWE. I've never once said he is going to AEW. I've never once, you know, said anything like that. So all that stuff that, you know, I'm saying this, this, and that, I'm not saying anything. But what I will say is that he's coming back, and from what I understand, um, I know the talk is all uh, all elite wrestling and Chicago and all out and everything coming up later this month. Um, from what I understand, um, WWE actually has the better chance of signing him. Now you can take that information and do whatever you want with it. You can laugh at it. You can take it and step on it. You can you know mock me and rip on me for saying it. Fine, go ahead. But I was saying this before his interview came out, and I was saying this before his ESPN interview I'm referring to that just came out a few days ago. And I said this before Cody Rhodes sent out that very, very interesting tweet. That was uh, that was quite the uh, interesting tweet Cody sent out a few days ago. And um, it was sent out July 26th, so actually it's about six days ago, but you know, it said he was kind of, you know, ripping on, well, not ripping on, I'm sorry. He was just kind of going off about him, talking, met in person, blah, 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 texted. And then he said, I wouldn't be surprised if he went back to WWE. Door is open if he wants it. Obviously referring to AEW. And, you know, it, it was kind of weird, you know, kind of took people aback and even the headlines. And it's just like, wait, what? It's like, what do you mean you wouldn't be surprised? Like, why in the world would Cody send that out? That just sent, that just seems so odd. It seems so odd and a little out there, honestly. 
But that was what I was told, and that's the way I have it. And now it is Thursday, August 1st, and now there's new reports that, yeah, some people believe he's going back to WWE. And I'm not going to do a dance of joy. I'm not going to say I told you so. I'm not going to do any of that because, again, I never said any of this stuff. All I was just told is that he has a better chance of going back to WWE than AEW. And if you want to know why, you know, you could argue the money. I mean, AEW clearly has money. They're blowing it left and right right now. So it's not necessarily financial. But if we're talking about the platform, yes, USA Network and Fox and, you know, the money, the prestige, all that stuff. But there is still that WrestleMania main event. And I know it would kind of go against everything Punk was ripping on five years ago. But if he came back as a part-timer, think about this. If he came back right now and say AJ Styles or, you know, a CM Punk and Daniel Bryan, you know, whoever at the time was a heel holding the title, heck, you could throw in Roman Reigns and cult the personality hit during the Royal Rumble. There's your main event. There it is set up. You know, you don't have to do a single thing of promotion. That's set right there. Everything's going to sell out. You already know that. It's WrestleMania. So there's a lot of intrigue going on about that. But, you know, regardless of what he does, would it surprise me if he went to AEW at All In? No, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Can you imagine the TNT debut with the big title saying CM Punk speaks live on TNT for the first time in, you know, however many years? Can you imagine that? I I would assume that would do a huge number. Can you even imagine if they announce a match? You know, John Moxley versus uh, CM Punk. You know, TNT debut Wednesday night. Again, forget the Fox SmackDown debut. That'd steal all the headlines. It'd be huge. So, no, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if we're in Chicago in a few weeks and all of a sudden the music hits at the end of the show. I don't think anyone would really necessarily be surprised. It may be shocking. I mean, he keeps saying he's done. He keeps saying he's not coming back. But, you know, he will. So he can keep saying that until he's blue in the face. It's going to happen. So... I'm not sure which side, but no, it wouldn't surprise me. And then it also wouldn't surprise me if all of a sudden he's in WWE in a year and everyone's freaking out and saying, I couldn't believe it. I could never believe it would happen. Well, it could happen, folks. So that's all I'm saying. So we're going to kind of move on from CM Punk at that point. I'm sure we'll bring him up again. You know, for a guy that keeps saying he doesn't want to be in wrestling, he sure is around it a lot. So... Speaking of wrestling, uh, Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan. You know, a funny thing happened the other night while watching SmackDown. Um, you know, Roman Reigns was going to make his big SummerSlam proclamation or his big whatever he was doing. And, you know, somebody like pushed a scaffolding on him or someone pushed this huge thing on him. I don't even know what it was, but, you know, it, it was pretty corny, if we're being honest. You know, the shots and all that, it looked pretty bad. It looked super staged. It, it didn't have an ounce of realism. I don't know who shot that, but, you know, it seemed expensive, if I'm being honest. It, it seemed expensive and, you know... Probably not worth it, but either way, what we got out of it, though, is good. What we saw, not so good. But what we're getting out of it is a whodunit, and I'm always I'm always for those. I love mysteries. I love surprises. I love all that stuff. So if we're thinking right now, well, who attacked Roman Reigns? And the funny part is, is Daniel Bryan had been hyping up this little announcement for the past few weeks, but then every time he'd be asked, he would just walk away. And, you know, after Extreme Rules, I think, was the last pay-per-view. You know, he said, I've got to go somewhere I've never gone before, and i got to be this new Daniel Bryan, or whatever he was yapping about. And right when Roman Reigns was attacked, I thought, Daniel Bryan. 
And you can call me a liar all you want, but I was already gearing up for a column saying it was going to be Daniel Bryan. Just watch. You can mark it again in my column in a month that I'll be right. All this good stuff. And I had it all set. And then the reports came out that it's going to be Daniel Bryan. (laughs) So I had my moment stolen from me. But either way, I think it makes sense for both guys. I think we've always kind of talked about Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan. Back in 2015, they had their Fastlane match, which I thought was awesome. Great main event. And you can go back and watch. People will call me a liar. But people were cheering Roman Reigns over Daniel Bryan that night. So go ahead and rewatch it and tell me I'm a liar. But... I think now where you kind of have it set where Daniel Bryan is the heel, you know, there's no crowd backlash. There's no kind of mix. There's no yes. mania or yes movement or anything like that going on. Everyone's kind of accepted what happened and moved on by now, but you know, Roman Reigns is the face. Daniel Bryan's the heel. And that's kind of where it's set right now. I don't think anyone's going to turn on anybody or, you know, the crowd's going to revolt or anything like that. This match you know, really does need to happen. I think for both guys, especially Roman Reigns has been, you know, since returning earlier this year, he's been more than fair, more than cool with not having the spotlight on him. You can laugh at that all you want, but he could easily came in the first night and beat Kofi Kingston for the title. No offense, but you know, they could have easily just done that and made him the face of SmackDown and they haven't done that. Kofi's getting his run, ladies and gentlemen. He's getting his opportunity. He's, you know, more than front and center with everything. But Roman Reigns is also Roman Reigns. So to just think, yeah, let's just push him down the card and forget about him. You know, it's kind of like Charlotte. Well, no, you don't, you don't do that. You don't just ignore all the talent just because you don't like him or, you know, feel that he's gotten opportunities. If the guy's really good, then the guy's really good. And Roman Reigns is really good. So I love this matchup. I think it's going to be awesome. It wouldn't take much of a reveal. Just have Daniel Bryan smiling on stage and say, Roman Reigns, I'll see you at SummerSlam. You know, and honestly, they don't even need a match. If you remember a few years ago, I think it was Roman Reigns versus Rusev. Like, they didn't even have a match. Rusev and them came out, they brawled, and then they saved the match for the next month. But they don't even really need a match. Just have Daniel Bryan come out, and Roman Reigns is so angered. Just starts pummeling them. Just starts pummeling them. They have a brawl. And then from there, you can kind of have a match. I don't know if you want to waste it so much on SummerSlam, which is only a week away. You know, you still got to do the reveal. You can even do a little bit of mystery for a while and then say at SummerSlam, we'll reveal who did it. You know, that is what I would do. I wouldn't have the full-blown match. I would say at SummerSlam, we're going to get the reveal. And once again, I go back to SummerSlam. That'd be another must-see moment. That'd be another thing where it's going to hook you into watching. Again, like every match, there's some reason that you have to tune in. There's something going on. Where it's like, wow, I don't know what in the world is going to happen. So with Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns, two very polarizing figures, two very popular figures in the WWE Universe. I hate to use that term. But, you know, it's true. So those two matching up and pairing against each other, that's something you can go for a month. That's something you can do for two months, three months. And then at Survivor Series, you know, have them have a little battle of an army and kind of have their guys by their sides and, you know, have a four-on-four match. And then you can go from there and by the Royal Rumble. I'm sure both guys will have their own separate WrestleMania directions by then. So, you know, enough for the fall season, enough, obviously, for the Fox premiere with SmackDown. There's plenty to do here, ladies and gentlemen. It's Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan. You know, there's a lot to do with those two. So, finally, I'm just going to kind of give a teaser for next week's podcast. It was supposed to be this week, but 
not to bore everyone with details because none of you honestly care, but, you know, schedules and all that stuff, you know, life happens sometimes. That's a phrase I like to use. You know, life happens. It's kind of easy to just make plans and say, yeah, we're going to do this, this, and this, or yeah, next week this is going to happen, or hey, want to do this? Well, 50 other things could happen. 50 things could change schedules. Regardless, again, none of you really care, but it's supposed to be this week. We're going to do a little bit of a themed SummerSlam countdowns, you know, best of, worst of, whatever. And I was sending it on Twitter. If you want to send me uh, ideas or topics or lists that you want us to count down, you know, we're all ears here on the 4114 Set Wrestling Podcast. You know, we're all buddies here. We're all friends. You know, nothing uh, bad about anything here. You can take anything and send it our way. So, you know, if you have any topics, you can either send that to the 411 Wrestling Twitter account, which I'm sure they would then nicely send to me, or you can always send it over to my account at Justin Watcher. That is on Twitter. So, again, we're always open to any ideas. But what we are going to do so far is the top five best matches of SummerSlam history. And then the top five worst matches. We could easily extend that to top 10, but you know, you never know how we do that. But that's with obviously SummerSlam coming up next Sunday, August 11th. So it's 10 days away. So sometime next week, that is the plan right now is to do a podcast with, you know, some sort of SummerSlam theme. So whatever you guys are thinking, again, be my guest, send it our way. We'll be more than happy to count that down for all of you. No problem whatsoever. So I'm going to end it here with the usual plugs. You just heard it at Twitter. You can find me at Justin Watchery. Again, open to any ideas. Send anything your way. We'll be more than happy to discuss and have some fun. You are listening to the 4114 Set Wrestling Podcast on the 411 Podcasting Network. You can obviously find this and my great columns on 411mania.com. And you can also then review and you can subscribe and listen to this wonderful podcast on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, iTunes, all those places you know where to find us. And leave us those five-star reviews, folks, on iTunes. You know we love that stuff. So until next time, enjoy your wrestling.